Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts. Brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcast. Today, we'll be speaking to our steering committee member, Irene Gobriel, from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, US. My name is Irene Gobriel, and I will be discussing today recent advances in our understanding of myeloma progression. So the big question right now is we have so many patients diagnosed with MGUS and smoldering myeloma, which are the precursor conditions to overt myeloma. And overt myeloma, as we know very well, is when patients have active disease requiring therapy, which is defined by CRAB criteria, hypercalcemia, anemia, lytic lesions, and so on, as well as the new myeloma-defining events, which are the light chain ratio, MRI having two lesions or more, as well as, of course, um, having uh, 60% plasma cells in the bone marrow. Now, the question for many patients, especially with patients with smoldering myeloma, is whether they should be treated early to prevent progression or not. And for us to truly decide when we sit with a patient, should I treat this patient with high-risk smoldering myeloma, we need to have better defining criteria to help us understand better who truly would progress in their lifetime and who should benefit from early therapeutic intervention. So if we look at smoldering myeloma in general, this is a, an entity, a clinical entity that's defined by 10% plasma cells in the bone marrow, and it has a chance of progression in general of 10% per year. In the first five years, 50% chance of progression. And then after that, it decreases significantly. Now, the problem that we have right now is many patients may have a very, very low rate of progression, sort of an MGUS-like rate of progression, and some patients truly act uh, act uh, or have active disease, uh, but do not have yet the end organ damage. So they would have all of the characteristics of myeloma, yet they just did not develop the lesion yet. They have not developed the hypercalcemia yet, but likely require active aggressive therapy for myeloma. And what you're trying to do is try to define the difference between the MGUS-like patient and the myeloma-like patient within the smoldering setting of patients. Now, if you look at what has been done so far, there has been clinical markers that help us understand who will progress in their lifetime. And these were originally developed by Dr. Kyle, including 10% plasma cells in the bone marrow, 3 grams protein in the blood by M-spike, and then added onto it uh, by Dr. Dispensieri, a light chain ratio that's elevated. And that characterized patients with high-risk clinical characteristics of smoldering myeloma. Now, the Spanish study or the Spanish group has done similar studies showing that immunophenotyping and telling us if there is an abnormal free light, uh, sorry, an abnormal plasma cell ratio is elevated, that would also increase the high risk of progression. And if patients have immunoparesis, meaning that their normal immunoglobulins are low, that also can increase your risk of progression. There has been other factors like evolving numbers, so evolving M-spike or evolving light chain ratio tells you that those patients are likely going to progress much faster. And then most recently, the International Myeloma Working Group has said that Let's simplify it and put new markers that are based on about 1,000 patients, and these, is, these included the 2220, which is 20% plasma cells in the bone marrow, 2 grams M-spike, and 20 as a light chain ratio. Now, if you look at the data more carefully and see that indeed cytogenetics and molecular characteristics can also improve on that because the biology is very important in those patients. So a subgroup of patients within that study had cytogenetic abnormalities, including 13Q deletion, 1Q amplification, 17P deletion. And those are the patients that truly behave worse in that group of patients. 
However, when you look at 2220, even within the patients who are considered high risk, there are some patients who will not progress very fast and some patients who will progress very fast. And likewise, if you look at the lower risk 2220, there are patients who also still would progress. So even though there is a better clinical marker, it's not good enough when I sit down today with a patient and tell them based on these, I can truly and more specifically tell you whether you will progress or not. So what else can we do? And I usually say it's very similar to thinking of a weather channel. And here's someone who's telling you there is a hurricane coming in. And currently with the 20 to 20, you can say the hurricane will likely hit within the next two to three years, and it will be in the New England area. So it's not very specific for time-wise, and it's not very specific for the location-wise. That tells you that we need to be more precise in our ability. So the next generation of what can we do to improve on prognostic factors is looking at genomic and epigenetic factors in the tumor cells and looking at the microenvironment cells and seeing if we can use those to predict better who will progress in their lifetime. And we started doing that. The first step that we've done is looking at the tumor cells and genomic uh, abnormalities in those patients. And we just published last week in JCO a paper of about 250 or so patients, so 214 patients, where we did either whole exome sequencing or targeted sequencing of the tumor cells from smoldering myeloma patients to ask the question, what else could be prognostic in those patients. And interestingly, what we found is that when you look at all of the patients, especially those who had uh, clinical progression within five years, uh, as well as those who did not progress, and you just look at them without looking even at the clinical markers, can I tell who will progress and who will not just based on the genomic markers? We found that most of the single nucleotide variants and most of the aberrations happened in the progressors. And if you look at those by univariate as well as multivariate analysis, you find that there were three major markers that predict highly who will progress and who will not. MIC alterations, that means MIC amplification or translocation. And that was also uh, confirmed by another study previously published by Mayo Clinic with Dr. Liefberg-Zegel, indicating that indeed MIC is so important in predicting progression. The second one, which was new, is MAP kinase mutations, KRAS and RAS-BRAF, in this model system for smoldering myeloma can tell you that those patients are likely going to progress much faster, and their median progression to overt myeloma was 1.2 years versus 5.2 years if you did not have those MAP kinase mutations. Similarly, for MIC alterations, it was 0.8 years, so extremely rapid progression versus 4.3 years for those who do not have MYC. And then the third group were the DNA repair mutations, so ATM, ATR, P53, and those had a 1.3 years of median progression to overt myeloma compared to 4.3 years. So the first message is, even if you don't have 20 to 20, or even if you have low-risk markers, looking at your genomics, looking whether your biology indicates that you have rapid progression will be very important to predict who will progress. And in fact, we added this to the clinical markers, looking at 20 to 20, looking at the old uh, Kyle criteria. And even with those, you can improve on the prognostic relative uh, relevance of those clinical markers by adding the genomic markers. So what can we do with that? I think this is the first step to look at large cohorts of patients with smoldering myeloma, potentially adding this into our clinical parameters. Can we have a targeted panel so that every patient today who has smoldering myeloma can get to know if they have one of those alterations? And if the answer is yes, then that predicts that they are high risk. And if the answer is no, 
then we can think likely their progression to overt myeloma is in the range of four or five years, not in the range of one or two years. And that should decrease their level and maybe consider that they should not be put on clinical trials of active therapy, but maybe other factors in those patients. Now, what we're not seeing is other factors, epigenetic factors, non-coding mutations. There are so many other things that we should look at in those patients. The other thing that we found that was very interesting in this study is when we looked at sequential samples of patients, and prior studies have done whole genome sequencing, but the study was... Uh, for a very small number of patients, and many of them had progressed within six months. So it's hard to say within six months whether there is clonal evolution. So here we ask the question, if you have serial samples over five years, can you look at clonal evolution or not in patients with smoldering myeloma and how they progress to overt myeloma? And what we found, which was very interesting, is even five years, eight years before the diagnosis of overt, of overt myeloma, if you go back and try to look at the mutations that were there and the clones that were there in smoldering myeloma, you found that they were already there, but at a very small number, at a very small clone. So even KRAS was present at the tiny clone early on in smoldering myeloma patients. And that's the clone that kept on growing, what we call phylogeny, meaning you can look at it at multiple steps and see that this is the clone that takes over and causes progression to myeloma. While if you look at someone who never progressed, their clones are steady, stable, they do not progress. So one thing to know is when you take a biopsy of a patient with smoldering myeloma, you know that that patient has all of the changes that you expect to see when they become overt myeloma. You will not have new clones coming in. The evolution of clones is truly from the prior ones of smoldering, and they just expand. You do not acquire new mutations during the disease progression from smoldering to overt. And indeed, your disease is already very uh, complex and very mature, even at the smoldering stage. The second thing to see is that the clones that progress are the ones that lead to progression in myeloma. And that's why looking at KRAS or MAP kinase mutations, MIC uh, amplifications, tell you that these are the clones that allow progression. Now, the next step you say is, well, what if I have all of this clonal complexity? Why is someone progressing to overt myeloma and someone else stays stable? Their clones are completely stable despite having all of this clonal complexity. And the question would be, is there something else controlling it that's not at the DNA level? Is there a epigenetic regulation? Is there a transcriptional regulation that's different? Or is there potentially an immune cell microenvironmental regulation that leads to progression? So to follow up on this, we did another study that was also published a few weeks ago in Nature Cancer, uh, and this is where we looked at the immune microenvironment of patients who have MGUS or smoldering myeloma or overt myeloma, and tried to ask the question, what is the immune cell regulation that leads to progression potentially? And we did something called single cell RNA sequencing, where you can sequence thousands of cells of the immune system in those bone marrows of those patients and ask the question, what is going on in those T cells, B cells, NK cells, and so on, but also what are the transcriptional changes that occur in those cells and can we uh, understand what causes progression in those patients? And the first thing that we noticed, which was very interesting, is even at the early stages of MGUS, when we say that patients with MGUS are normal and this is a benign condition, the answer is actually no. Their immune system is already dysregulated at that very early stage of progression from uh, normal, healthy 
controls to MGAS to myeloma. However, the dysregulation goes on and gets worse and worse as you go on to progress to overt myeloma. So at first you have some cellular compositional changes, meaning that your NK cells start changing in composition. Your CD16 monocytes increase, which are the macrophages that surround the tumor cells. Your Tregs start to change and they go up because Tregs are bad uh, and enhance in, uh, tumor progression. And your T effectors change, they go down, and your memory T cells at the end stages when you get to myeloma, they're almost depleted in those cases. So these are compositional changes of the cells themselves. Some of them are going up and some of them are going down as you progress from MGUS to smoldering to myeloma. Interestingly, we also found transcriptional changes. TNF alpha regulation was significantly changed in those patients. Certain other genes were regulated significantly in those patients, indicating that the HLA presentation or the way that the cells present uh, the um, antigen presentation is dysregulated in those patients. And that's why it leads to an inability to respond uh, in the immune system and dysregulation. So you start with compositional changes, you get into MHC class two internalization, inability to basically present antigens, and then memory CD8 T cell depletion, and then finally interferon alpha response changing. And all of those changes indicate that this is how the immune cell is dysregulated early on, and then it gets on and gets worse as you progress to myeloma. Now, why is this important? One, we know now that MGUS is not completely normal. And this was actually known before when we knew that patients who get vaccination may not respond very well if they have MGUS. I think this is very important now in the era of COVID-19 because we could think that many of those patients may actually not respond very well uh, to uh, vaccination or even when they have COVID-19, will they sustain an immune response long-term? And indeed, we are opening now in our PROMISE and PCROWD studies, which are large cohort studies for MGUS and smoldering, a arm just for COVID-19 um, screening, which is called SAFIRE. So if anyone is interested to understand what happens in their own immune system to COVID-19 when they have MGUS and smoldering, look at SAFIRE. It will be launched very soon, and we're hoping to ask that question. The second thing is, we need to understand how to regulate that immune system to prevent progression. And this is what we're doing in PROMISE and PCROWD. So PROMISE is a screening study, 50,000 individuals in nationwide in the US. We're gonna open it hopefully soon in Canada and in South Africa to ask the question, are you at risk of developing MGUS? And if so, what leads to progression for you to myeloma? And in that case, if you have a first degree relative who has myeloma, or if you are African-American, you know that you have two to three times higher chance of developing myeloma compared to anyone else. So if we can screen for it and we find it early, can we prevent it uh, for you in your case and prevent progression to myeloma? And I can tell you, we screen for many other cancers. We screen for breast cancer, we screen for colon cancer, yet we have a very simple blood test and this is how we can screen for myeloma. And we should use that because cancer screening saves lives. And if we can find for you MGUS at age 40 or 45 and prevent it from happening to become myeloma at age 65, then that could be a huge win for the whole population. And that's what we're hoping to do with PROMISE. So if you look up promisestudy.org, you can uh, tell your patients, tell family members that they can sign up to it to prevent progression in the future.
And in that study, we're trying to ask those questions. What leads to progression to myeloma? We've already looked at some of the early signs, including genomic aberrations, immune microenvironmental regulation, but there are so many other questions. What is the role of the macroenvironment, obesity, race, uh, other factors that lead to those genomic aberrations or immune cell regulation? And what else can we do to prevent that progression? Can we use immunotherapy? Can we use vaccinations? Can we enhance the immune system so that we can have something called precision interception, which is early intervention in those patients so that we can prevent progression to myeloma? And I hope that five years, 10 years from now, we will no longer say that myeloma is diagnosed by active CRAB criteria. It doesn't make sense for any other cancer for us to wait for patients to have end organ damage and then we treat them. We should diagnose them early, intercept early or prevent early, and hopefully in the future, no one will ever have lytic lesions, hypercalcemia, anemia, uh, or any of those diagnostic criteria that we use right now for myeloma. These are 18th century uh, diagnostic criteria, and we should improve on that. We should be in the future uh, for treatment of myeloma. And potentially, this is the way to cure myeloma, is by treating it early before we have all of the clonal heterogeneity and immune cell dysregulation. So I hope I convinced you that for MGUS and smoldering, there is a lot to be done here. We can understand better how to predict progression and then intervene in a better way for those patients so that we don't treat them all the same way. Truly, there are some patients who should benefit from early interception or early interventions, but maybe the answer could be lenalidomide and DEX or something else uh, stronger like KRD, RVD, and so on. And the answer could also be more precision interceptions with vaccinations, immunotherapy, bispecifics, and other methods of treatment. And for us to really tell who should be treated and who should not, and what treatment to use, we need better predictive markers for those patients. Uh, so I hope that that will help you. And please consider enrolling your patients on PCROWD and PROMISE, because that's the way for us to understand how to um, diagnose those patients early and intercept early. Um, and thank you for that. Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.